The number one question we get from listeners is, do we have a written step-by-step roadmap to guide you on how to train your dog? We don't, but Standing Stone Supply does. They're the creators of the complete step-by-step dog training program that takes your dog from brand new puppy and gets it well on its way to that finished dog you've always dreamed of. They've mapped out the timelines to help guide you, the videos for every step of the way to show you, and even have the needed gear made into shopping lists to make it easy to supply you. Check out the course at StandingStoneSupply.com to gain unlimited access for all current as well as future lessons and be sure to use the code GDIY to save 10% at sign up. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY 20 at checkout to save 20%. All right, everybody, welcome to a new edition of the GDIY podcast. I'm joined with Nick B. Miller of RGS, and we kind of have a special little RGS bonus episode series type of thing. We're, we're still kind of working on the whole definition of this type of thing. <laughs> uh, but before we dive into all that, Nick, go ahead and introduce yourself real quick. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Really happy to be with you today. Uh, so like like Nick said, Nick B. Miller, I'm the Southern Appalachian Forest Conservation Director with the Rough Grouse Society and American Woodcock Society. So based in Western North Carolina, but I manage our regional conservation program across basically the mountain region of six states. So North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Southwest Virginia. So you cover a lot of ground. You deal with a lot of people, a lot of yeah. people coming from uh, passionate, you know, uh, hobbies, if you want to call it that, I guess. But uh, uh, to be completely forthcoming, you don't even have a dog yet, right? <laughs> I had to bust you out right right off. There you go, man. Yeah, totally. So, um, yeah, so I've been in this job as the forest conservation director for the past uh, two years now, coming on two years. And so I have a background as a professional forester. So did my bachelor's, my master's in forestry. I used to work as a consulting forester in Western North Carolina. Uh, and then I've been working kind of in this, uh, you know, conservation nonprofit world uh, for the past several years, uh, including with a different organization called the Forest Stewards Guild, where I was their Southeast director for three years uh, before coming into this role with RGS as the forest conservation director. So not new to forestry and conservation in the Southeast. Uh, but I, I am new to, uh, bird dog hunting. So it's been something I've been getting into over the past two years and, uh, just really excited because it's a lot of fun. And you, you are, correct me if I'm wrong, you are leaning towards getting a bird dog, right? Like I'm not going to get you in trouble with a girlfriend or wife. Like, <laughs> this, <am> I? <laughs> no, I am leaning towards getting a bird dog for sure. Yeah. For the first two years of kind of getting into, um, getting into it, I've been hunting over, over other people's dogs. Um, but I'm, I'm keen to get one for right. sure. So we'll let you stay on the podcast since you're planning on getting one, right? <laughs> okay. Uh, fair enough. But so let's try and lay the groundwork to what we're doing because sure. this, this isn't just a, another podcast episode with, with rough grouse society, right? You know, anybody that's been into bird dogs and, yep. and, and hunting dogs that they've heard that a number of times, right? Um, we're doing something a little different to where we're going to try and do, we're going to keep it short and sweet, but very purposeful with some of the topics that we cover over the next number of months, however long it lasts, right? It's going to be short and sweet and to the point because 
RGS, for those that don't know, in the past, when was it? About a year and a half, two years ago, they changed their their operation structure, their model uh, of yeah. how they really did things. And and so we wanted a, an opportunity. Since that happened, there seems to be a lot of confusion, uh, maybe some bad information going around. Uh, that the average person that cares about this stuff maybe just doesn't fully understand. And we wanted to come at this from a, a completely different angle and educate the, the average gun dog owner of what the RGS new model really truly is. And so instead of doing an hour and a half long conversation to where we just kind of go through it like we have in the past, we're going to do very small uh bite-sized chunks of information on this that hopefully kind of resonates and connects with people a little bit better than what it has in the past. And so this kind of stemmed from, we recently had a bunch of stuff uh, happen here in Tennessee. I became frustrated with RGS, to be perfectly honest and upfront with everybody. Uh, Made it known to you, made it known to Ben. And, uh, but instead of just writing everything off and, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, I got that saying right this time. I think you got it, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, we kind of came together. You kind of took it as almost a challenge, which I respected, where you started calling me and like, hold up, let's talk about this in a, in a more informative manner and and get some facts straight. And after talking to you, I was like, we need to put this information out because somebody that's as plugged into it as I am, I've had a misunderstanding of some of the stuff that you guys are doing or attempting to do. And I wanted to do, uh, kind of offer you guys the opportunity to come talk to everybody directly in a more honest and, and more manageable way than what an hour and a half long podcast would do. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah, Nick, that makes a lot of sense, man. And I really appreciate you kind of framing it up that way. And I think um, I really appreciated you reaching out to me with a lot of the stuff that's been kind of blowing up around state lands and public lands in Tennessee and for voicing some of your kind of valid concerns and feedback about some of our communications and how we've been getting the word out among members and the public. And I think I really kind of saw that conversation as an opportunity to really more effectively get the word out about our conservation program and all the great work that we are doing in the region. Um, And I think, you know, we, um, over the past couple years, Rough Grouse Society has really made an investment in the Southern Appalachians in a way that we never had before. Um, and since I've been in this position over the past two years, we've been really growing this regional conservation program, um, getting a lot of stuff going with different state partners, getting a lot of work going with the U.S. Forest Service through stewardship agreements and other tools, as well as kind of beefing up some private lands delivery work as well. So a lot of different partnerships, hiring foresters, getting work going. But the thing that you've also helped me understand is that we really haven't been as effective at getting the word out to a lot of our members in the region and just the general public and uh, grouse hunters and bird hunters in the region. So I think we have an opportunity and to help fill that gap, we are kind of staffing up to bring on an engagement coordinator for the Appalachians who's really going to be directly interfacing with members and helping communicate this stuff more and re-engaging a lot of our chapters. But I also think talking with you on this podcast and doing other things that we can do to make sure that that we're, we're clarifying and talking about our conservation work in ways that is really understandable to people, um, I think is a great opportunity. It's all about taking the information and trying to make it as 
acceptable as possible or reachable as possible. Right. And, yeah. and so that, that was kind of like you, you alluded to some of the uh, source of my frustration with some of sure. the stuff that, that's recently happened. And uh, you know, in today's day and world is it, it, it kind of, you don't know what you don't know. And until somebody points it out to you, not, not to say what I pointed out to you guys were, was actual like gospel or, or the truth, but I felt like, I was getting frustrated and I had to say something and I had to prove a point. And, and again, to be perfectly honest with everybody, I, we're doing this interview series from somebody who I actually withdrew my support from RGS and let my membership lapse. I'm hoping by the end of this, it looks like we just did a walk out here on, on some public land that you guys did a cut last year on that I wasn't even aware of. You know, I, I heard some rumblings through it, but I never really saw it. Uh, didn't even know where it was. I just knew it was like, oh, it's on that big WMA somewhere, right? And so just putting boots on the ground and having the opportunity to walk with you and some of these other RGS chapter members who had a lot of the same concerns and, and questions that I had as well, it was really beneficial to be like, okay, there is actual stuff going on within our state and like you said, it's really been more of a communication issue, which y'all are addressing by hiring on these engagement coordinators, because let's be perfectly honest, you're the forester. That's not technically, it's maybe a part of your job, but it's not your job description to be informing the public, right? Yeah. I mean, I think as the forest conservation director with RGS, like a lot of what I've been focused uh, on over the past two years has been building out our regional conservation program under kind of this new restructuring and this new approach uh, to doing our work that has really, like you said, Nick, just started really two and a half years ago, like right before I came on board. And so that's been a lot of, um, you know, building partnerships, building agreements, doing project development, identifying funding sources, really growing our business, building a business plan for the region, hiring staff, bringing on consulting foresters, um, doing kind of more than a full-time job of really building out that conservation delivery network to get the work done. And I think as we've been going through this kind of rapid growth period um, with this, this new model, this new approach that we're adopting as an organization, um, something that's also really stood out and you've helped me understand is really kind of what, what we haven't been doing. And I think what we haven't been doing and what we've had a gap in is some of that membership, chapter, communication, and engagement work. And so we are now working to more actively address that challenge by bringing on some engagement coordinators to fill that gap. Um, and I think that'll be really, really, really a great opportunity. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, my, my full-time job is doing the conservation work. It's not engaging chapters and members. Um, so there's an opportunity there. Yeah. And I mean, that, that's just important to notice is like you're dealing, you, you just named off a million different things in the organizations that you deal with on a, on a day-to-day basis. And I think that's one thing that a lot of average people that uh, just get bird dogs and all they want to know is, let, let's face it, us as bird dog owners, we're not foresters, we're not biologists. Sure. Most of us, we're just kind of like, I have dogs and I want to go hunt birds. Where right. are the birds? Where's oh, the habitat? It, it, where's the habitat? And And so like... Obviously, we're coming at uh, talking about this and just th- this really first RGS series, whatever the heck we're going to call it. We don't even have a name for it yet, but it's more in line just to kind of give everybody an overview and more insight to what we're going to be doing is right now we're planning on doing a short, quick uh, bonus episode on a monthly basis until we feel like we've properly addressed the entire process that you guys go through to get habitat on the ground. 
and and hopefully by us breaking it down into smaller chunks, it'll start to make more sense and resonate with the average listener base. This isn't just the southeast, right? This is gonna this is addressing or discussing the new model as a whole that you guys implement everywhere, not just the southeast. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I think I can more speak to our regional conservation program, but I think something that I really see as an opportunity through this series with you, Nick, is you know one of your questions that you posed to me is kind of what does our new model look like? Yes. And so I think what we did communicate to a broader audience of our chapter and membership a couple of years ago when we rolled out this new model was the overall vision yeah. of this new model. But I think what we haven't shared with folks is what that vision looks like in practice. So what I'm really excited to do is to share in the Southern Appalachians what that, what that new model, what that vision looks like in practice with our conservation work on the ground. Yes. And I think breaking it down into how we are delivering this new mission with different land ownerships might be a really useful way to ground it. So we can talk about the way that we're working with state lands on different game lands and WMAs, how we're leveraging Pittman-Robertson dollars and partnering with the state to increase their capacity for habitat work. We can talk about how we're partnering with NRCS and private industry and consulting foresters to engage private landowners and provide technical and financial assistance with private landowners to increase habitat delivery. Because grouse, woodcock, these birds don't know uh, political boundary lines and property lines, right? Um, so it's all part of the equation, this kind of all lands approach. And then we can also talk about on the national forest front, how we're engaging from a public lands advocacy perspective, how we're sitting at the table through stakeholder collaboratives to kind of push for active forest management and more young forest on the landscape, and how we're developing novel agreements with the US Forest Service, including stewardship agreements and other tools to, to really increase their capacity to get more active forest management done. And so I think what I took away from some of our last conversations, Nick, was that breaking it down into these different land ownerships and talking about specific projects and specific ways that we're using chapter raised funds uh, and leveraging other resources to get this work accomplished uh, could be a really great way to kind of ground that new model and that vision of our program with the work we're doing in the Southern Appalachians. Exactly. I mean, it, it's one of those things where, I, you know, I don't consider myself to be the smartest guy out there, but I'm also not, not dumb either. And, for somebody that's as plugged in and, and as passionate as, as I feel like I am on, on the topic, I have a hard time understanding this. And the more I talk to other people, like-minded people, you know, the foresters uh, like yourself and, and the biologists, they're on like level 10, right? And we need people to be talking to us like we're level two or three on some of this stuff, right? <laughs> and uh, and so like I'm excited to kind of go down this, this series and, you know, it, it's going to be obviously this is just kind of an introduction overview type of thing. Uh, I think the next one, it's going to be, where else do we start, but just defining stuff like who, all the stuff that you just mentioned, RCS, all the different type of funding grants, stewardships, like we really need to kind of define everything so everybody can understand, uh, exactly what we're talking about before we can really go into even more depth and really explain to them what the benefits of each one of them are or the, or the, even the cons in some, sure. some yeah. ways. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm excited to, to kind of go down this journey and learn more. And for those people that, you know, again, they're listening to this and they're like, 
man, I just want to learn how to train my bird dog. <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's important to note, I kind of say this on any of the conservation pieces that we, we try and do is think bigger picture. You got a bird dog to hunt birds. If there are no birds, then why have a bird dog? And so that's the standpoint that we're at to where it's just like, hey, hopefully you listen to this. Hopefully you get some value out of it and hopefully you keep coming back to it. And then by the end of it, everybody has a full better understanding of all the working components and pieces of the puzzles that kind of create this this habitat or model structure that you guys came up with. And uh, hopefully, you know, on the other end, I come back to where I'm like, okay, you guys have my full support again, right? And yeah. and it, just we we just left one of the projects that, that was on the ground, and I already have a much better understanding than what I did yesterday. Yep. And so that is ultimately the goal here, and that's why we're going to keep great. it short and sweet. And so, you know, there's going to be a number of topics. And honestly, if there's listeners out there, if you guys have a direct topic or question related to any of this stuff, you know, that might be something worth us touching on in one of the episodes that covers a specific thing. Sure. Uh, You know, real quick, can you kind of give a a basic idea for the listeners of some of the topics that like we might be addressing over the coming months? Yeah, sure. I'm happy to. So I've already kind of mentioned these a little bit when I broke down kind of the different land ownerships, right? This kind of new model of the way that we're doing work, what we call kind of the new model of working forests, right? Is really just a way for us to, uh, to try and better leverage resources to try and achieve more landscape scale with the work that we're doing. Um, to build more partnerships and to better realize the opportunities for commercial timber harvesting and sustainable forest management um, to help create the habitat conditions that we know grouse and woodcock and other forest wildlife depend upon. And so that kind of broad, um, that broad new model and that broad new vision looks like different things on the ground and it looks differently in different regions as different forest conservation directors have been developing their plans and implementing it. So. Some of the things that I think could be really interesting to talk about that relate to that, uh, I think stewardship agreements are one big one. So, uh, you know, stewardship agreements are basically uh, a tool that we use to work with the U.S. Forest Service to help the Forest Service uh, implement commercial timber harvests and also to utilize the forest product revenue that's generated from the sale of that timber to pay for non-commercial forestry and wildlife treatments. And so under a stewardship agreement, a stewardship project, we can actually perform all the administration and inspections of a commercial timber sale on the ground uh, on behalf of the Forest Service. And so we have four active stewardship projects right now across the region on a few different national forests, including the Cherokee, the Daniel Boone, and the Jefferson National Forests. Um, So I think stewardship would be a great deep dive um, I think we could also uh, really get into uh, kind of silviculture and talk about kind of the intersection of sustainable forest management and wildlife habitat. And Nick, we got into this a little bit on the ground today when we were kind of out looking at uh, this project area on the North Cumberland WMA and talking about the difference between a clear cut and a shelter wood treatment and kind of the, the sequence and the process of sustainable forestry. And, you know, most of us, I think, when we think about it from a habitat perspective, we think about the act of cutting the trees to create that young forest habitat. But also, part of sustainable forest management and silviculture is a stepwise approach to not just create young forests, but to actually regenerate and recruit desired tree species on the landscape, such as oak. 
And so sometimes, you know, rather than taking the top off of a forest today, we might do a partial cut, we might run some fire through it to get that really high quality regeneration established, those saplings and seedlings, to then take the top off afterwards to regenerate um, that young forest in a couple of years. So I think those are some of the things that kind of stand out that we might want to do a deeper dive into. No, absolutely. And I mean, obviously throughout all of this, this is all intentional. You know, we're, yeah. we're creating habitat for rough grouse and woodcock. And it, and I think it's important to note one, one thing that we've kind of circled back on a number of times is it's not just grouse and woodcock. It's important for us to start talking to all wildlife enthusiasts, whether you're, you're a bird watcher, a deer hunter, turkey hunter, whatever. All of this goes into creating a more healthy, sustainable forest for all species of wildlife. And so that's one thing to where, like, I think this is an, a, a, an important enough topic for us to really take our time and, and dive deep on these little small topics. And uh, But let's make it a little bit more digestible, bite-sized chunk, and then maybe at the end everybody will understand, like, how it comes together in a bigger picture of how it it's going to do putting more birds on the landscape for us, whether you're in the, the southeast and the southern Appalachians or up in the north woods or something like that to where it's just like we all have the same goals. We're just trying to figure out a new way to get there that's more efficient that actually, you know, puts a lot more habitat on the ground faster, which as we'll get into in one of the topics where we're going to break out the difference between working on federal land versus state land, the federal lands – there's a lot bigger process than what we were probably familiar with to, to understand. Outsiders were like, why don't, why can't you just cut a tree? Just, right. to, just right. crank up a chainsaw, cut a tree and get it on the ground. But that's what we're going to dive deep into. And, and Nick, you know, this is going to be quick hitters. I mean, this is right. This is it right here. This is episode one on the, on the bonus series. So I'm looking forward to seeing what topics we cover and, and going into detail and again listeners that are listening to this if you have specific topics or questions that maybe you're looking at this new model and you're like hold up how does this affect x y and z you know why do we do it that way instead of this way shoot them to me gundog at yourself at gmail.com and then you know we can try and work that in if, it, if it's a, a, a source of confusion for enough people then maybe we, we can do a full episode on it is there anything else that you want to touch on real quick on this first little overview uh, as we get going, you know, is there anything particular that you're really looking forward to getting into? No, Nick, I think we pretty much covered it, man. I mean, I think I'm really excited about this opportunity to be connecting with you and connecting with everyone that listens to your podcast to really just, you know, get the word out. I think we've been doing a lot of really important, meaningful uh, conservation work over the past two years, and we have a, a lot of accomplishments to report for it. Um, but I think we have the opportunity to kind of better communicate that and get that out to um, the general public and some of our members in the region. So I'm excited for that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for agreeing to doing this. I, I think this will be beneficial for everybody that's interested in conservation in general. Uh, maybe not even just rough grouse and, and woodcock. Obviously, that's what we're we're mainly talking about. But, you know, th this could go into play f for people trying to better understand any uh, conservation organization and how they have to look at things and it, it can't just be as simple as like just go do it right as sure. unfortunately as as that is like we all wish we could just go hop on a tractor and, and and create habitat but when you're dealing with public lands that's not really an option right yeah well said i mean i think you're right that 
you know, obviously Rough Grouse Society, American Woodcock Society are two major flagships or rough grouse and American Woodcock, but our mission is to promote healthy forests and abundant wildlife. And yep. so we are thinking about it much more broadly in terms of um, the conservation work at hand. Yep. Awesome. Well, I look forward to the next one. Uh, be about here in a few weeks and we'll cover all the definitions and different players involved in this. And then, then we'll really be up and running once we're talking the same language and we can start covering these, these uh, heavy topics. But uh, I look forward to it and hopefully everybody uh, gets something out of this. Cool. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for listening to GDIY. If you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to take a moment to subscribe, rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy this podcast and would like to contribute even more to future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.